Welcome to the Digitalization and Diversity Podcast, where we are exploring the crossroads of two hot topics, digitalization and diversity. My name is Adya and I am your host. Welcome back to the Digitalization and Diversity Podcast. On today's episode, I have Mila Mari Vastavu. Mila is working as a senior sustainability specialist at UPM Biofuels, a forest products company based in Finland. She holds a Master of Science degree in Environmental Management from Alto University School of Chemical Engineering. And before joining UPM in 2018, she was living in Japan and also a short stint in the US. Welcome Mila to the show. Tell us a bit more about yourself. How did you get into the field of sustainability and what got you interested particularly in the area of environmental management? Thank you Adair for having me and thank you for the introduction. I'm sure we will have a really good and interesting discussion and I'm excited to share it with all the listeners as well. I indeed have a I have graduated as a master of science and even if I have the degree, so in itself, I don't think it defines who I am, but I feel that the engineering mindset is strongly part of who I am and such as like curiosity to understand how things work, find information and solving problems. And most of my family and friends also know that I like to see ways and solving problems, mm-hmm. but however, it hasn't really got me to make any actual businesses or products yet, but maybe someday that would be a possibility. Yeah. But at the moment I'm working at UPM Biofuels uh, in the biofuels industry, which is a forest-based company. So in my everyday life, I get to work with sustainability topics on like many different perspectives. So Mm -hmm. I think the best part of working in the sector is that I actually not only work with biofuels in transportation, but yeah. also like biohydrocarbons in petrochemicals and like chemical business overall. Then I also get to learn about sustainable forest management, biomass cultivation with low indirect and direct land use changes and then green technologies and like so on. So a lot of different aspects and and what comes to sustainability. So. Yeah. I've always been eager about natural sciences mm-hmm. and sustainability topics caught my interest when I was about 14, 15 years old. So yeah. in the upper elementary school, I saw a document about climate change. At that time, I woke up to the reality of the state of our climate yeah. and how much it will impact now and in the future. And then I was thinking that, okay, the climate was telling that uh, how the world will be looking when I will be 50 years old. So I I got kind of, <laughs> well, it impacted me a lot, could say yeah. like that. And still today, when I see similar documents, I, well, they make you feel sad and sometimes even maybe a little bit hopeless, but mm-hmm. simultaneously it makes you motivated because, yeah, I made kind of promise to myself then and when I will be sitting in a rocking chair some decades from now so I could leave saying that at least I left the planet a bit better than when arriving it. (laughs) 
Yeah, and I find your story super inspiring. And I definitely see that the the sustainability and the ESG trend is on the rise, especially driven by regulatory changes, particularly in the EU since the beginning of the year. For listeners who are not aware of this trend, ESG means using environmental, social, and governance factors to evaluate companies and countries how far advanced they are with sustainability. And my question here to you, Mila, is how will the ESG trend impact diversity in the future? Well, that's a good question. And you're right that there are a lot of like regulatory changes going on, especially in the EU area. Well, even general political debates are like a lot. Well, through my work, I, I am following especially on the environmental regulations, but then, of course, also the other political debates as well. And I feel that there is a lot of impact on how the regulations or what kind of decisions we are going to do in the future. And I mean that the impact can be, well, it's big, both positively, but also negatively. It can be if, if they are not like regulations, if they are not uh, defined in a good way. And I think biofuels industry is a good example of that, that in, it was like, 20 years from now, EU wanted to reduce its carbon footprint and the emissions from transport sector. Yeah. So setting up these biofuels mandates for member states, which caused some issues then in land use changes outside of EU, like kind of in Asia, mm-hmm. you probably have heard of the palm oil use causing yeah. cutdowns yeah. of rainforest and then cultivating crops on lands where you could use for food production, for example. And I think that's sustainability. That's not like black and white question. There Mm -hmm. is always compromises and you need to figure out what is the best way to tackle something. So I think you need to be really careful with the regulations. And there is always, when there is regulating something, it might also affect the industry and available jobs, for example. Yeah. And there are actually could give an example from Finland is about, uh, you know, you have been in Finland, so forest is a pretty big part of our country. And I think that's a good example because there is all the three ESG parameters are met in this one. So first, um, forest has been and is still one of the most important industries in Finland. And so it's kind of our green gold. And then to understand the background, it's not only economical, but so in Finland, forest is, I think it's a special role in a way that forest is owned by private people. Mm-hmm. So the private private people sells the wood to the companies and then companies turn it into more valuable products. So adding the value wood itself. Yeah. So there, there's the economical value of the yeah. forest. Then there is the social one. Like people spend a lot of time in the forest by Many families have summer cottages and like spend time hiking in the forest. Or then yeah. you can go, we have this so-called every man's right. So anyone can go to any forest mm-hmm. freely and walk there. And well, in the summer and autumn time, you can pick berries or mushrooms freely. Yeah. So of course there are some restrictions, but mainly it's like free walking and like you can move around. Yeah. But there is the social aspect and then there is the final one is environmental. So forest works as on carbon sink during when it grows and then storage after that. So it has a positive effect also on the climate change. Yeah. And also, of course, it's the 
biodiversity, that there is a lot of different animals and organisms and so on living there. But there has been a lot of discussion about the forest lately that is, should it be cut down or only like preserve more of the forest. But I think there is more about the balance of all these three. Yeah. They should be in balance because then I think everything can be have a like be well you can have the economy growing and you have the so- uh, social part there everyone can enjoy the environment that way yeah i really like how you have brought together the different aspects of the environmental social and governance factors and with the examples right and so far i've seen that a lot of companies in the private sector are looking really at all these aspects and they're defining different goals and different KPIs, as you said, to like measure them and to create targets. And when it comes to prioritizing sustainable development goals, there are really a lot of measures which are being taken and especially a lot of measures being taken by companies to, to have this balance, as you said, and also maybe considering and talking a bit about the social and governance aspects to also reduce inequalities, maybe including gender inequality. So what goals do you see that we need to prioritize for the long term? Yeah, like you said, so I think two of the three parameters, so economical and environmental parameters, you can measure by figures. Mm -hmm. But I think the social part is a bit more difficult to have like numbers there. I think that I haven't even, my personally, I haven't focused that much on it because uh, like you probably know, Finland is one of the most equal countries yes. in the world, but still there is some inequalities still between the genders and even in the in the tech and industry sector as well. Yeah. But what I think the first step would be to be the transparency. Yes. So, transparent discussion about things and and yeah the goals as well and targets and then communicating them transparently both inside internally yeah. in the organization but also externally mm-hmm. and then also to make sure that the companies act as they communicate i think that's that's a really important part yeah so you kind of act like you promise yes yeah and of course then well there are still if you want to have some like values mm-hmm. for parameters for social gender equality so there are of course these quotas that there are for example there should be as many men as women in the management groups and so on but yeah honestly i'm not sure if that's really fostering the real equality between the mm-hmm. genders i think for a certain position you would need to have like the kind of best qualified person for that yeah. i think that's equal that's yeah. equality that you so it's more about the right person and not about the gender age relation ethnicity or so on yeah and you know a year ago i watched this episode on the netflix explain series which was called why women get paid less and the title is very controversial but when i looked into the series it was very interesting because it explains the kind of the systemic differences which exist based on how society is structured today and why the differences exist and why we're not equal. And what I really liked about the show was that it really outlined 
why certain countries are doing well when it comes to having this equality. And of course, that mentioned the Nordic countries, which uh, where the advancements in, in creating this equality is much more mature today. And I agree with you in general that, yes, when it comes to having these very specific targets uh, regarding having a certain percentage of, let's say, women in either the management board or even in a team or in a department, probably we should not compromise there on the quality or the fit of the candidate, which is being targeted for the job. But at the same time, I do feel that we need to really look at from an end-to-end process. So really look at the hiring process, look at why are certain candidates not applying to a particular position? Are there not enough equal positions at university where people can already study in this field and so on? And I do feel that since last year, there has been a lot going on in the area of diversity and inclusion. And there are quite a lot of initiatives, which I see, especially in Europe, but I'm sure like there are a lot of stuff going on also in Asia and the US and also in different parts of the world in this topic. So what is your impression of the diversity movement? And do you think that the diversity movement is real? I hope so it is. But one comment for your previous comment you had in the how to like support like women or other minority groups to apply for certain jobs. So mm-hmm. I think you need to even step a few steps before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to come to the school age or like children. Yeah. So how, how do we educate kids and mm-hmm. what kind of stereotypes are we feeding to their minds? Like what, what are they capable of doing? So mm-hmm. I think we need to start a little bit like further to like how, how we are speaking to kids and so on. But it's I think it's educational and it starts early on. Yes, definitely. Yeah. But yeah, coming to the diversity movement. So I really hope it's here and it stays as yes. well. But then I feel also that there are some kind of like uncertainties and uh, I think it's a pandemic, but also the like the political atmosphere is kind of making the world a bit distant as well. Yes. Yeah. So that's a bit of a concern, I must yeah. say, what I think. But then I also feel that I think now comes the digitalization comes into part that mm-hmm. we need to have the communication yeah. with each other and meet meet people because I think that's the key thing that we meet different people and learn to know them. Mm-hmm. Um, because usually you you want to find people that similar like you, yourself with similar ideas and opinions and so on. Yeah. But if you don't even have the chance to meet other people, you can't broaden your mind in a way. Yeah. And I think we need need that connection between each other to learn and and understand each other. And I think I have learned a lot of even from you when we have been discussing about different cultures and it gives so much more and you understand the world much better. Yeah. I mean you are the sustainability expert in this call. So I would like to ask you, I do believe in the diversity movement and I think it's really for the better. What should we do and how can we make the diversity movement sustainable? I think many companies have started to improving with all the like sustainable aspects in the ESG parameters. Yeah, I think environment is one of the most visible ones at the mm-hmm. moment. Many yeah. companies are communicated that a lot. 
and I hope also that the social part is coming as well. And I see that still the economical part, so money matters a lot. And mm -hmm. of course, in company, if you have a company, it needs to be profitable, of mm -hmm. course. Mm -hmm. But I hope that money wouldn't be the only issue, like only parameter, but you can make sustainable business even and make profit at the yeah. same time. But I, I see that it's, it's coming there. Mm -hmm. uh, there has been a really positive things happening, even yeah. in the big traditional companies. At the end of the day, especially in the corporate world, right? Everything comes down to a business case. And I do think that there is a very strong business case for diversity and for fostering diversity. It just needs to be made more visible with a lot of different use cases behind it and be made more transparent that you can get really a buy-in from all different sectors and companies operating in different sectors. And the theme of the podcast is digitalization and diversity. And you already touched a bit on the topic of digitalization. And I have been exploring over the last months how digitalization impacts different sectors. And I'm very curious to know, in what ways have you seen digitalization foster sustainable development? One thing is that we have more data than ever mm -hmm. before. So yeah. that's like the first step. So whether it comes to environmental, social, but especially on the environmental part. So, mm -hmm. of course, if we have an industry process, so mm -hmm. there is automations and tracking the process levels and so on. So we know what kind of consumption levels there are. Yeah. So I think there is like four steps mm -hmm. of uh, how to use the foster sustainable development here. So mm -hmm. first is the gathering the data. I think then the second one is really important. It's like defining the question, what do we want to figure out mm -hmm. from the data? Yeah. And after that, then we check that, okay, how do we use the data to get the answer for our question? Yeah. And then finally, of course, it's always important, the communication part. So mm -hmm. you communicate your result. And I think here also the most important is the transparency to mm -hmm. tell what the final figure means and what's like behind the numbers. Yeah. And here I also have like one example from my, my everyday work life. So mm -hmm. I do a quite a lot of uh, these GHG, greenhouse gas and LCA, so life cycle assessment calculations. Yeah. And like I said, it's great to see that many companies have really taken hold on their sustainability topics and they mm -hmm. are communicating their values and like how much they are improving yearly. There are some annual figures they are providing publicly every year. Yeah. And you can see that on product labels, for example, that this product's carbon footprint or environmental impact is this much and or maybe it's reducing GHG emissions this much. But then it comes to the question, so what is the scope of the calculation and what's behind that one number? Yeah. Because depending on the scope and the data you have used, the end result can be really different. So you need to be transparent. And if you are not transparent, it even can mislead the end customer mm -hmm. to buying something that they didn't know about or even in the worst case, greenwashing. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you already mentioned quite a few topics regarding how we can use digitalization to make the sustainable development enhanced. So how are Finnish companies or rather companies which are based in Finland doing it when it comes to becoming more digitalized today? 
Well, it depends on the companies, of course, and mm -hmm. what kind of products or services they have. But yeah. I think we are pretty well digitalized in a mm -hmm. way that, the, especially the pandemic time, um, yeah. I think we are all familiar with the the new office work style with the yes. remote work. So yeah. Teams and Skype and so on. But then I also see that the production plants, I think that's a kind of different kind of digitalization. But like I said, the processes are usually quite automated and you can gather the information and optimize them. And I think there is also, there is a lot of happening on that side. So I think there is more different kind of levels on digitalization. Yeah. And when it comes to looking at the social aspect of the ESG trend and looking at how, how digitalization plays into that, how do you see digitalization changing diversity in our society today? I think one good example from like the past year has been, well, the remote work, like we are, we all know about. Yeah. But I think that for some people it has been easier than for, for others. And I think here is also personality. For example, if you are extroverts, they would prefer to be at the office than you have introverts. Mm -hmm. I think for introverts, the remote work has been much better. Yeah, You might get the energy to yes. work and be more productive when you have these remote work days. So I think it has given more potential for everyone. Of course, now it's more harder for the extroverts, but when we are slowly opening up, I yes. hope that there is the chance for each and everyone to choose which style is better for the other. Yeah. And I like how you bring in already about the different personality types, right? When it comes to diversity. So the introvert versus extrovert. I often see a lot of differences also coming from diverse age groups. So let's say not just at the workplace, but also in my personal life, when I am interacting with older people or when I'm interacting with my nieces and nephews, which are younger and probably much more tech savvy, I do find a lot of differences when it comes to being digital. And I mean, I have been talking a lot with my father and trying to upscale him to use the latest mobile applications. And we usually encounter the, the funniest errors when it comes to upskilling, especially on, a, let's say, on the tech platforms. I want to know, what are your thoughts on imbibing the digital mindset when communicating with diverse age groups, for example, Gen X or even baby boomers who might not be as tech savvy, either in your private life or at the workplace? Yeah, I guess we all, all know that in almost all work life, you need some kind of technology use. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I have seen an um, example of my grandparents, actually. Mm -hmm. So they don't own a computer or a tablet or a smartphone. Yeah. And many of services today are getting more digitalized. And one example is the bank sector. Yeah. So it gets really difficult when all the services moves from like face-to-face -face contact yes. to the internet. Mm -hmm. uh, so I also feel that it's a sensitive topic in a way that there are groups of people still that don't have the access and they might get uh, forced to drop out from the society if mm -hmm. they don't have that possibility. Yeah. So I, I think it's important to keep that in mind. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, in the beginning already, right, you already brought up the point that there are many 
positive aspects of digitalization, but also we need to be very cautious of what that means for the different groups in society. And we cannot say that, yes, we have a lot of advancements in technology today, and there are so many trends out there, and expect that everybody catches up to these trends and everybody really stays up to date with every new tool which is out there. I think there is really a whole process of upskilling everyone, a lot of change management, not just in the corporate space, but also in society, which needs to be done when it comes to introducing any new technology, digital tool or a solution. Yeah. Thanks a lot for sharing so many different ideas and insights, also from your experiences working in Finland. Maybe as a closing topic, I would like to ask you, where is it that you see yourself in the future today? That that was probably the hardest question and I started to think about it and I realized that during my school years, so it was a really a lot of like targets when you are in school, you have this target, you will graduate and so on. But after graduation, there aren't actually that like clear targets anymore. Yes. If you don't set them up, of course, yeah. yourself. But now I have honestly tried to find my career path and I think it sounds a little bit cliche, but I think I have tried to teach myself that it's more about the journey than the end stop. Because if you kind of like rush through your life, you might end up to the end stop and noticing that you really didn't enjoy the ride itself. But I've tried to teach myself to do those things and choose such kind of topics that interest me and hopefully also on personal level and to do the same things in in work life hopefully they would match it, each other and and of course there are always some crossroads like you get some chances and then you need to choose which one you you will take and obviously you don't know which one is the right one at that point but then you need to make the choice and at the moment i had tried to keep up to my promise which i i told you before that uh, i would like to make some sustainable impact. So I think yes. that's something in the future I want to work with. Yes. And for listeners who don't know about this, so uh, seven years ago, Mila and me were roommates in our summer exchange program in California. And we were having a long discussion regarding like future goals and what to expect. And I'm really happy, Mila, that you have achieved your goals to date. And I can only wish you all the best in your future journey. Thank you, Adi, and thank you for having me. And I think my best diversity learning was actually that summer with you, because when I when we met first time, I must admit that I had, of course, some kind of stereotypes in my mind. Yeah. But that's a really good example that when you really learn and get to know a person properly, the, the stereotypes fades away and, and you change your mindset. Yes. Thank you, Mila. I really enjoyed our conversation today. And yeah, I hope we will see each other in person soon again. Yeah, we look forward to that. Cool. So that is it for this week's episode of the Digitalization and Diversity podcast. Stay tuned and subscribe to the channel for more updates on very exciting episodes upcoming.